Hi, and welcome to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. In this episode, I welcome Mark Hubbard, the head men's soccer coach at the University of New Hampshire. At the time of the release of this podcast, they have a bye in the NCAA tournament as a program high number eight seed in their seventh straight NCAA tournament appearance. Coach Hubbard has quickly built a highly successful program since he took over in 2015. He discusses a bit of how he did it and his thoughts around recruiting and coaching. Please enjoy. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com slash matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on social media as well. The links can be found at matchplayrecruit.com. All right, now we're rolling. Um, so today I have uh, Mark Hubbard, who is the head men's soccer coach at the University of New Hampshire. Um, and we'll get to what you've accomplished with that program in a really relatively short period of time in a sec. But uh, I just want to, you know, kind of frame up where, you know, how you got there and go through your history a little bit, you know, how you became how you ended up at, uh, you know, playing college and what your youth career was like. I believe you grew up in New Hampshire, so not necessarily a, the uh, soccer hotbed, so to speak, back when you were young. Um, that's, you that's, that's so cruel. <laughs> 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 yeah, it wasn't meant to be cruel, but, uh, you know, you fill me in, you know, educate me on what the soccer scene was like when you were growing up in New Hampshire. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, um by the way, thanks for having me on here. Really appreciate it, and hopefully Thank people you. can can uh, take something new from the conversation. And um, at the very least, coming out of the conversation feeling a lot better about New Hampshire soccer, which has been <laughs> one of my one of my one of my goals. Yeah. Um, just as a person growing up here, it's, it's definitely a place where you're right. It's like a chip on the shoulder, having to always prove others in the soccer world within our country wrong that we can um develop good players here and play good soccer so growing up that was kind of the plight like especially when odp was relevant Mm -hmm. going down to regionals and doing these things and having to play teams consistently from maryland and virginia and eastern new york and connecticut and you're, you're consistently defending and getting your your butts kicked so um, when I was going through the process, it was, it, it was in a time of handwritten letters and phone calls, and it wasn't a very hot and heavy process because from a family perspective, we didn't have a ton of resources to be able to drive to schools and meet people in person. Right. Um, so that point's important because that will eventually lead me to, I think, explaining what I think is the most important in the process. But um, being a hometown kid, I grew up right in the on the campus of the University of New Hampshire. So I was able to grow up with college coaches and college players. I was a ball boy for the UNH team in the early 90s. Uh-huh. So it kind of, from a developmental perspective, seeped in, seeped in there through those experiences and 
um, ended up choosing to get away from uh, UNH within my college choice just to kind of get out of Dodge and get a new experience at Colgate University. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, through all my experiences, kind of, you, you kind of learn what, what, uh, what to do and what not to do through your own experiences and you kind of take what works and maybe what you think didn't work. And I think that's been a big part of who I am as a coach and what we've been able to do, but I'll give you a, a shorter spiel here. Colgate, I would try it out for a USL A League expansion team my senior year in Syracuse, made that team. I was one of two college, straight out of college players to do that. And then um, next year, played at Wellington Hammerheads in the USL. In between off seasons, started coming home and then coaching at UNH as an assistant. And then was offered the first assistant position after about halfway through my year in Wilmington, so decided to come home, take that position, and still play for the New Hampshire Phantoms, which were a USL second division team. Mm -hmm. um, was able to be a coach, be close to my, and <clears throat> live with my um, future wife, who we were still dating, and then uh, I got my master's at the same time, a little bit of playing still, and uh, got my first head coaching position at 26 when I was got the Southern New Hampshire University position where I was there for uh, seven seasons and um, won a national championship there and was able to do some great stuff and and then was lucky enough to still live in Durham with my family when the UNH position opened up and, and two good opportunity and I got a um, job. So here mm -hmm. I am and uh now we're in a position where we're last six years our average rpi has been 15 we've been to six straight nca tournaments uh, yeah once some sort of conference title or so so let me uh let me let's talk about that so yeah. you go through all that um talk about real quick talk about your um your college experience you know re Wow. What was it like getting recruited? How did you end up getting out of Dodge, as you said? And then I was uh, I would end up I was playing. I was a young kid playing up in a U nineteen division mm -hmm. with um, uh, a, a a local family um, son was playing on Colgate, and I was playing with their younger their younger son, his younger brother. Mm -hmm. So the assistant ended up coming out to watch the game, and that's how I got seen by. Colgate, who ironically, Sarah Ronning, who was the head coach now of Colgate, but was the assistant at the time, halfway through my career at Colgate, he left to go reinvigorate the Northwestern program with Tim Linehan, and then ended up coming back to Colgate and has done some great stuff there. So that's come full circle. And now when we're running overnight camps at UNH, Eric will bring his two young kids to camp and work camp. And yeah. so it's just a full circle thing, you know, with right. me attending those camps as a child. So it's been a yeah. really cool, cool so you, way of looking at it. Yep. Um, sorry, it's cut you off there. I didn't mean yeah. to. Um, yeah. okay. uh, so you, you, you learn from a lot of great coaches over the years. Um, and you know, you did a lot of winning like at Southern New Hampshire. And, um, so what really stands out to me is the turnaround that you made happen at New Hampshire. Um, like you said, you are 
you know, your average RPI is, what did you say, like 21 or something? 15. 15, sorry. Um, yeah, so and, I don't know, 210 teams, like, yeah, for us to be in a conference of where we're at, which is usually typically a seven or eight conference. Right. 24. So talk yeah. about, like, building what you did to build the culture to become a winning program and a perennial powerhouse in the country. I mean... NCAA appearances, uh, a ton of them, right? So there's like six in a row, I think, and four conference championships in a row. How did, what did you do? What was your mindset going in to make that happen? And, uh, you know, talk us through that process and how you set that up going into it. Yeah, I think going through my childhood, I was always someone that was overlooked, even from a youth level. So Uh it really bothered me. Um, Mm -hmm. It it made me ultra competitive. And I I was a young I guess an early developer, or not an early developer. Um, I was a late developer, so like early in my years, I was small and you know had to get away with soccer brain and technical ability, but never had the the ultimate athleticism. I would say ended up growing um, after my sophomore year. I was like five three, and like now I'm six three, six four. So I'm growing a lot in the last two years of high school and. Mm-hmm. Kind of put me a little bit, um, probably behind the the recruiting process, along with you know just uh, being from New Hampshire, et cetera. And right. um, so I just always had this edge of wanting to prove others wrong. Um, that when I went to Colgate, um, great school, great academic school, but there wasn't a lot of like great soccer being played. I would say um, I also learned like from a culture perspective there's only a few handful of guys that really wanted to get become the best soccer player they could be and so mm-hmm. that's always stayed with me when recruiting kids and how i coach my teams like priority wise like where soccer is in their their priority system um so i think being able to be in that situation and you know working myself to in pro soccer, um, it's the same deal. Was always just extremely hard worker and ultra competitive. I wouldn't say uber talented, um, but that that sort of spurned into my coaching career at UNH, and then sort of picking up my own sort of style and element of what I wanted to do. And when I got to Southern New Hampshire, the team was um. I don't know, five, eight, and five or something. And we turned that program around in the first year and won conference title. It was right in the NCAA tournament, hosting regionals, um, and sort of left left Division Two as the, the highest winning percentage coach at that time. Um, so, all right. Man. No, so, I mean, like, that's, I, where, I that's really where, yourself that's really where it started. Yeah. So, Mark, I mean, you, it's not like you cut all your players. Like, you you didn't make wholesale changes. What was it about your coaching and the culture that you created that you know turned around a five eight and a five loss or an eight loss team into a national champion? Well, I learned that you don't um, you don't need to be like a dictator for teams mm-hmm. to be successful. So. Uh, being 26 when I got to Southern New Hampshire, there was right. actually a, a player or two that were older than me. So, <laughs> like that, that right away gave the, um, 
you know, the perspective of like, okay, let's get approach this from a different, different level, but, um, you got to care about the players. So care about the players as people first. And I think that's one of the main, main things is all of my players know that I care about them as humans first and that I can't, I can't just give them the, this, the, the exact amount of playing time that they want. It's impossible. So I can't right. make them all happy in that regard. So that's, that's at the core of every conversation. Um, right from the beginning and you develop a really strong relationship with them and you build a, a really good trust and you talk about things other than soccer and uh, that trust ultimately when you when you put guys on the field they feel like they can take risks and make mistakes and they're, they feel like their coach right. believes in them so that that's the that's the first thing and um you know, I think the second thing is like everyone wants to play good soccer. Uh, a lot of coaches say they play soccer, good soccer, but right. when it comes when it comes down to it, like is that is that something you're still you're still trying to do every single day? And with our training sessions and how we set up, at least initially in every game, what we're what we're trying to do. Um, we're trying to break teams down and create as many attacking chances and score as many goals as we can because that's fun. So being able to become the best soccer player you can be and continue to improve upon that and have fun doing it at the same time, coupled with, um, you know, by my care for the players as people, I think goes a long way in creating a culture where it's guys collectively are, are fighting for one another out there and and ultimately um, winning soccer games. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems, seems like that would be the normal, but it's probably not, is it? <laughs> I don't think so, because it takes a lot of time to build a strong culture. Right. So, at least initially, and then and then you're developing good leaders as you as they go through their careers. So it's a pretty seamless transition, hopefully, when guys leave. And then um but it's just it's just maintenance. It's it's something you always have to stay on top of and you always have to be aware of. There's gonna be guys that are unhappy, there's that don't want to come and address it and it's always important to have those conversations and Yeah. And work through it. Yeah, I'm trying to keep the group and working for one another is, is always a consistent thing here. Right. How, um, when you're recruiting, how are you evaluating uh, recruits to see if they'll fit into what your, you know, your culture and, and what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, you can tell right away just from talking to guys. So, um, yeah. where they're at, how they value themselves, how they treat others. Right. Um, you know, there's our, our recipe has been, you know, there's a, there's obviously a scale, like you can be so good as a soccer player, but have such bad character, mm -hmm. um, and ethic like attributes uh -huh. that it won't ever, ever work out no matter how strong the culture is. 
Right. And sometimes there's guys that are really competitive and have high level soccer attributes that maybe are a little edgy that we feel we could recruit and bring in and a culture strong enough to help them work through it, you know, while they're mm-hmm. still helping us on the field. But ultimately a lot of the guys that we get are ones that really buy into what UNH is about. Yeah, have a strong affinity for what we do and a really good understanding of what we do and mm-hmm. consistently show that through the process. Yeah. So when someone is driving the process and and not only it's just about UNH, but like being able to go to other programs, experience, have similar experiences and conversations, and then still come back at the end and say, UNH is where I want to be. Like that's that's very telling. Mm-hmm. And that will go a long way into the student athlete coming here early and being as successful as they can early on. Right. So conversations with parents, family home life, conversations with kids, mm-hmm. how they email how they email and communicate. Uh through those conversations you learn a lot about who they're who they're about and how they'll um react to the rigors of a program and what that entails right you said something interesting um that i want to dig into a little bit um you said you can tell how they value themselves yeah um yeah talk about that a little bit i that's an interesting point to make I'm curious yeah i mean we, we always talk about like we want you to be realistic about who you are like mm-hmm. not everyone's perfect you gotta understand what your deficiencies are what your flaws are and then you have to develop a an action plan that's purposeful to to work and work at those things consistently to get better at them that's how you'll break the habit or that's how you'll get better and um so we talk a lot about that um each season before and after we have guys sort of discuss and rank like what they're really good at what they're not good at and so you can have those open conversations in real um in real time and then but through the recruiting process you can tell if a kid really overrates himself Mm -hmm. or doesn't have a strong understanding of who we are by how they talk about other schools and in the process of where they're at so a lot of kids are hiding behind bigger name schools within the process and that's inflating who they think they are so then they don't really do a good job of um, figuring out what they want in a school and program, right. and then then they get to, they get to a place, and then they understand it's it's not what they really wanted, mm-hmm. and then that's why you see what's going on with the portal these days too. Um, right. So it just takes a lot of effort and time, not only on their part and their family's part, but our part to really figure out if it's the best fit. Mm-hmm. And to be really honest and upfront, and sometimes by being honest for us, like we end up losing out on good players. But in the end, we don't have a lot of guys transferred from our school. Culture is so good, right? I was going to say it's um, probably better to lose them in the recruiting process than after their freshman or sophomore year, right? Yeah. And you just never know. Like sometimes a kid has a bad experience somewhere else, and it's had such a good experience with us that they come back to us you mm-hmm. know down the road or it could be a sibling you know the parents had a great experience and 
that type of thing or like a friend, you know, you just never know. So we're always talking about that and as a staff and program, you just never know who's watching or how it all comes back to you. So you got to represent the badge or the, the program wherever you go and set a good example because you just never know how it's going to come back and impact you positively or negatively. Right. Um, so talk about um, how you've built your teams. Um, I was looking at your roster and you've got a healthy mix of transfers, internationals, and, you know, even a bunch of New Hampshire kids as well. So yeah, talk about your strategy of um, bringing in, you know, kids from all three of those different classifications, so yeah. to speak. So in order for us to compete with Clemson, mm-hmm. per se, on the um in the national scale or like pac 12 teams like we gotta be um we gotta think outside the box within our recruiting and and go into pockets of areas where maybe those schools aren't paying as close of attention Mm -hmm. um so it doesn't make sense a whole lot of sense for us to go down to atlanta and try and recruit a 15, 16 year old for a couple of reasons. One, they might be on a pro track and that's where they're going to end up anyways. Or there's so many good schools down south that most kids just want to stay there. So we talk about efficiency and our recruiting all the time. And it's just not an efficient way to go. If some kid's driving the process from there and really wants to come north, then we will um, explore that. But in terms of just being efficient, um, you know, being able to go and find high-level impact players right away is hard to do for a program like ours. So we're not fully funded. We don't have a big recruiting travel budget. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to rely on contacts and in pockets of the world where you can find impact players. And so for us, graduate um graduate players have been really good just because we have really high level graduate programs i'm sure that work well um for kids and international world is something that i developed a really strong foundation in when i was at southern new hampshire that's even Mm -hmm. more um those programs are more reliable on international so those are those are two pockets where I've been able to find players that can come in and immediately impact the program. Um, and when you're losing eight guys a class or ten guys a class now because of the portal and and the the, co- the COVID years, um, you have to find what we say like half of the class has to be guys that can come in and immediately impact the program and the other half have to be guys that you know have the attributes to develop within your program right we found a great mix within our roster of players who come in and know their role right away because we, we communicate in the process and know that if they work hard and get better at what they need to get better at, then they'll be rewarded in the end. Because when they look around in the locker room, there's countless examples of guys that came in and didn't play as much as they wanted to right away, or redshirted, or went through some sort of medical hardship and had to had to work through it. So it gives mm-hmm. good motivation for those guys. And um, 
we have so many examples of guys that have come in and haven't played right away, but by the end are, are uh, you know, all Americans in the program. Right. So some of those guys are definitely more like domestic in nature and are more from the New England area. Mm-hmm. But on any given year, we have representation from all four regions of the country. We think that's important as well. Let's just show that, you know, someone can come from anywhere and come to New Hampshire and be successful. Right. Yeah. I mean, winning helps attract players too. So, uh, what you've done. Sure. Me sure. But you, sure. But you'd be surprised. It's not like, um, there's a ton of, uh, players knocking down our door that want to come to us over Duke, you know, or right. over any other so-called high level program that maybe has a more of a story tradition or a higher level conference RPI. And when you get into those conversations, it's, you know, it's, um, it becomes a little bit more difficult because with resources now in the recruiting world with Alston funds and cost of attendance and NILs and all this stuff that's happening in a, in a higher level environment, not at UNH, um, it makes it even more difficult to, to go out and compete against these other level programs. So that in turn makes it more important that we find players that we can develop and that just takes a little bit more effort on our part early on to develop these guys and make sure that they are ready to go when the time comes. Right. Um, so I know that we have a hard stop here, but uh, you know, you're, you're about halfway through a season. Um, you have four one and one record, so you're doing really well. Um, so what's kind of the, the game plan? Like how do you coach your team? to continue to win and stay strong through the season, through the end of the season and, you know, hopefully have a long run at the end of the year. Yeah. I, w- I would be careful in saying that we've done really well. Okay. Yeah. We've got, we, we haven't had a shout out yet. Consistently. Oh. We're in the top five. also been some shout out percentage. So we brought in 18 new players from last year's team. So we're still trying to figure out what's, what's going on. Uh-huh. And that's going to be a, a work in progress for sure. Yep. Um, we lost a tough one to Cornell where we couldn't finish. And we tied a game at, at BCU where we gave up a, a really bad goal um, as well. So we could easily be 6-0. and And uh, so we, I think that's part of the mindset too is like you just can't settle and we have to hold ourselves to a, a higher standard here. And that's the message every day and Mm -hmm. uh looking forward like our conference our pi right now is like we're fourth i think um so those those conference games are going to be more meaningful which is going to help our ability to have an at-large selection at the end of the year and then um we open up you know at binghamton this weekend and it's a really hard place to play and um a lot of long throws and disruptive style of play and Paul Marco knows what he's doing. And a lot of coaches in our, our conference are very good coaches. So it's, you know, going into conference 0-0 zero zero or all 0-0 zero zero at this point. So those games become more difficult and more meaningful. And because uh, it's college soccer, mm-hmm. we have so many games and it's such a small amount of time. So 
we got three games in the next uh, seven days, and that, that's gonna that's gonna test our depth, you know. So we have yep. to be guys have to be ready for that. And um, yeah, again, just one one game at a time, but our group is still very much a work in progress, and um, hopefully we can we can continue to improve and get better and and be in a good spot health wise uh, come November. Cool. Um, and then last thing, so you've been there for six years now, is that right? Uh, uh, I think nine. Nine, nine years, so sorry. Start nine, nine season, or it said 2015 yeah. is, is when I arrived. Okay. Yeah. So how do you, what, what are your goals for your program over the next, you know, five years? Or Well, the goal is consistently to win a national championship. So that's what we always talk about and set out to do. Uh-huh. Cool. And that's uh. That's something where, yeah, I think when we're talking about New Hampshire and the culture that we've built, like we're consistently getting two to three thousand people a game up here. Cool. So we've been able to to build a really good culture within the community, and we do a lot in the youth youth world to forge good, strong relationships and get kids to come to games. Because I was one of those kids at, at one time, so I understand how important it is. So we just we just keep building on the culture here and. Um, We'll unveil plans uh, the next few months on a $25 million new soccer stadium. So we have a field um, that we've put in already, and we have the site, and we've now we've gone through the process to get the drawing. So we're building, <clears throat> looking to fundraise and build build towards that as well. So that's something exciting to like have some long-lasting impact, uh, you know, well, well beyond uh, my time at UNH. So cool. those are just a couple things looking forward that we're it's, it's exciting yeah. stuff. Yeah. To to have a school that's dedicated, that's willing to invest in you guys. So, um. yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a school that's very supportive and there's a lot of great people that, that work around us from a financial perspective. The, it's like any college environment that, that's at our level mm-hmm. um, that doesn't have like super high level football or high, high level like basketball um that's bringing in a ton of money it just makes it difficult um sort of spreads down to all the other olympic sports as well so right. yeah we do we do a lot here with a little and have a good strong attitude good hard new england chip on the shoulder uh work ethic and um do the best we can yep and that's an important uh that's a good note to end on is you know ask those questions and observe how the school treats the programs that you're looking at um, you know, a school that's investing a lot of money into a program means that it's probably, you know, not a bad place to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's definitely it's it's you got to do your homework. You got to go to visit as many schools and get as many similar experiences as you can, and try to have as many conversations with coaches as you can. And through those experiences, you'll learn what what you want and what you don't want in the school. And what most kids fail to do is really figure out exactly what they want. You know, they all want high-level soccer. They all want to win a championship or give themselves a chance at being a pro. But are they looking at all the other things that make their experience really, really good that can help them help us all their other goals? So, you know, if you go to a school and their dining hall food is awful, like, that's not going to help you nutrition-wise become the best that you can be or if you don't like the housing scenario or if you don't have a good social network. Like, all these things lend to your happiness or your motivation to, to want to become the best person and player you can be. So, 
my recommendation is just to try and get as many similar experiences and have have those conversations and take the time to really understand what's in your priority system, what's important in a school. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, ultimately, in the end, it comes down to cost, but try and look at it cost blind so that you can figure out exactly what you want and why you want it. And then that's a good starting place to then be able to go and attack it and then be in a position to be as happy as you can um, to then go after those those goals of yours. Cool. Um, Mark, I really appreciate it. Uh, I know you got to run. So uh, yeah. respectful. No, yep. Anything thanks, else Scott. you need to add in or? No, all good. Appreciate, appreciate your time. And uh, who knows, maybe in a few months we do part two. Of the let's do podcast. it. Yeah, cool. All right. Yeah. After you've, uh, you know, won, won a, a bunch more games. So we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> Thank all you, right. Mark. All right. Take care. Thanks, Scott. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on social media as well. The links can be found at matchplayrecruit.com. See you on the trail.